Hey, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to church. And just like Pastor Dave said, I want to welcome everybody uh, this morning, especially if you're new, this is your first time, or you're, you're back visiting again, trying to figure out if this is where um, home is. And so thank you for being here. Uh, you, know, you know what kind of world we live in? We live in this world that tells us that even though we have enough, we don't have enough. Isn't that the kind of world we live in? Uh, I heard of a modern parable. There's this wealthy, retired businessman who was at his vacation home and he decided to go fishing down by the water. And as he goes down by the water, he sees this man sitting in a boat. The man's just sitting there doing nothing, just staring off into the horizon. So the businessman says to him, he says, what are you doing just sitting there? Why don't you go fishing? And the man in the boat says, well, I've caught enough fish for the day. I'm good. The businessman goes, well, let me teach you something. The, the sun is still out. He's like, why wouldn't you spend your time to catch more fish? I'll give you a life lesson. If you catch more fish, more than enough, then you'll have fish to sell. Then you can make some profit. And if you make some profit, then you can buy yourself a bigger boat. And then you can catch more fish. You can make more profit. You can hire men to help you, and you can build a fish business. And one day, if you work hard enough, you'll make lots of money, a lot of money, build your business, one day retire. Then you can relax. You could sit back and enjoy the sunset. And he goes, so basically what I'm doing right now. And he's like, yeah, I guess so. And, and that's actually just a, a parable to tell us that this is the kind of world we live in. That we live in a world where when you have enough, the world tells you you still don't have enough. And so as we start this morning, I want you to think about what is it in your life? What are the voices in your life telling you that you don't have enough of? What don't you have enough of? You don't have enough money. You don't have enough kids. You, you don't have enough friends on Facebook, not enough followers on Instagram. You don't, have, you don't have enough good that you've done in your life. You, you don't have a spouse, so you must not be loved enough. You haven't lost enough weight. And as Christians who have Jesus, if, if you have Jesus this morning, though we have everything we need in Jesus, the message that we don't have enough is essentially telling us that Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. And that's why we've been doing this series, Jesus is Not Enough. And it's really to combat this cultural lie, to attack this cultural lie that though we have Jesus, that, that the world tells us we don't have enough. No, the reality is we do have enough. We do have enough. Now, if you missed last week's message, I want to encourage you guys to go back on, on YouTube and check out Pastor Gary's first message as he kicked this off. It really lays the foundation for us, and the reality is the Word tells us that we have everything we need. Now, with all that being said, let's be a little bit real with each other, okay? Because I realize that if, if I were to go up to a person dying of cancer, or if I'm going to go up to a person who could never have a child and tell them, hey, Jesus is enough for you, that sometimes that can be perceived as the most theologically cliché the most emotionally insensitive, the most practically unhelpful thing that we can say, to tell them that Jesus is enough. I, I read a blog this past week. It was a Christian blogger, and it was a pretty insightful blog. And she's a single, and she was describing her pain being a Christian single. Here's what she wrote. She said, I think it's wrong to give us singles the impression that Jesus can satisfy that stab we feel inside, 
when we look at someone else's wedding photos or hold someone else's baby. Let me, let me explain. Imagine that I'm very hungry. I can't escape the gnawing feeling in my stomach, and I have no idea when my next proper meal will be. Is Jesus enough? Well, if by that you mean that loving Jesus will make my hunger miraculously disappear, then the answer is no. Jesus didn't design my stomach to feel full at the thought of him. He designed something other than himself to fill that craving, food. I need food. And this is coming from a Christian. And I think if you read the whole article, it's very insightful because she's bringing up a, a really good point here. That whether my stomach is hungry for food or my heart is hungry for relationship or my hands are hungry for work to do. That there's going to be times as Christians when we're going to feel like the, the ache or the craving for something that we, that we want. And her point was, you are not an inferior Christian. You are not a weak Christian just because you'll have that, that yearning inside of you. And so I, I want to start off by saying, if you ever feel that way, don't feel guilty about it. There will be times when we're going to feel like there's something we want and I don't have it and it hurts. But here's the challenge for us. The challenge is, is how do I experience the sufficiency of Christ when my circumstances leave me wanting? How do I truly live like Jesus is enough because he is enough, though I don't feel like I have enough? How do we do that? So this morning, I want to give a few suggestions of how we can grow in the contentment in the sufficiency of Christ. So would you guys pray with me? Let's pray, then we'll open the Bible and look at this question. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that this morning, God, you would speak so loud, louder than any other voice that surrounds us in this world. God, I pray that you would penetrate hearts because I know that every one of us in here, we all have needs, we all have cravings, we all have wants, and yet you have given us Jesus. You've given us everything in Jesus. Now help us know how to grow in that trust. God, I pray that uh, you would give me success this morning. I pray that nothing I do will be successful unless it's from you. And unless we're all convinced that this is from you because of you, this is from your word, breathed by your spirit. And so, Lord, we, we, we don't care. We don't care what a man has to say, what he thinks, what his opinions are. We, we want to know what your truth is. So, God, here are our hearts. Here are our minds. Lord, would you fill it? With your truth. So we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say, Amen. Amen. No, I think really when it comes down to it, when it comes down to living like Jesus is enough, it's really a battle between faith versus fear, right? Because Jesus is not enough when I'm living in fear. When I fear that Jesus isn't able to carry me through my unmet needs. And so the result is I will put my dependence on other people or other things in this world because Jesus can't quite cut it. He just doesn't have enough to help meet my needs. I fear that Jesus is going to come up short. And yet faith, on the other hand, is trusting. It's believing that the Bible means it when it says that I have everything I need to get from here to heaven through God, through Christ. 
that he's going to get me from here to heaven, and he's going to help me complete my journey and supply every need through Christ. And so, in other words, faith will conquer fear when we learn to trust that Jesus is enough. Now, the question is, how do we trust? How do we grow in that trust? I want to give you three suggestions. If, you're, if you have your notes when you came in in the Baywatch, there's some fill-ins. Maybe you have the app. But, but here's the first thing I'd love for you to take away. We grow in trust by trusting that his strength is strong enough. We trust that his strength is strong enough. Do you believe that? Do you believe that his strength is strong enough? Some people say, yeah, I believe it. Philippians 4 verse 13. I've heard so many people claim this as their life verse. It says this, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That's a great verse. I can do all things. Right? And so this is a promise that a lot of people hang on to. There are people who will depend on it while running tough races like the Tough Mudder. I found this picture this past week. I could do all things. How many of you guys remember about a month ago I described the Tough Mudder? Right? Well, a group of SBCCers from this church decided that they were going to take the challenge. And yesterday, the Tough Mudder came to L.A. and they signed up. to take, By the grace of God, he sent the rain and they had to cancel it and spare their life. And yet they are determined, so they will go when it's rescheduled. They will be missed. Amen? They will be missed. <laughs> Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so athletes will put it on their shoes, hoping that it will lead them to the, to the championships. Competitors will tattoo it on their chest, that, that God will give them the strength to help punch their opponent's face out and chokehold them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Right, Because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And so people hold on to this great promise of Philippians 4.13, praying that it's going to lead me to my championships, that it's going to help me conquer races, it's going to help me crush job interviews, it's going to help me ace school exams, it's going to help me prevail in court trials. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And yet we have to stop and ask ourselves, what was Paul doing, the one who wrote this? What was he doing as he was writing that I can do all things through him who gives me strength? He was in prison. He was shackled in chains behind prison bars as he's writing, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Really, Paul? You can do all things? Well, it sure doesn't look like you could break out of those chains and break out of that prison cell. It sure doesn't look like you could prevail against the court, in court against the Romans. Sure doesn't look like you could win the favor of the Jews who, who put you there because they persecuted you. So how is it, Paul, that you can do all things? How can you boast that you have the strength from Jesus when it doesn't even seem like you can get what you want? Well, maybe that's not what he means. Maybe that's not what this verse means. L let me show you what he probably means. Look at Philippians 4 verse 11. Here's what he means as he's riding from prison, shackled in chains. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Circle that word content. That means to be satisfied. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So looking at the context, Paul's not claiming that God's strength speaks of supernatural achievement. 
What he's really talking about, God's strength gives him supernatural contentment, supernatural satisfaction in whatever circumstance. He is able to stay satisfied when he doesn't achieve what he set out for. He's saying, listen, I learned a secret. I have a secret that whatever the circumstance, whether I'm plentifully rich or I'm pitifully hungry, whether I'm preaching from the pulpit or I'm imprisoned behind bars, it doesn't matter the circumstance. Here's my secret. I've learned to be content and satisfied. Why? Because Christ will give me enough strength to endure even the cruddiest of circumstances. God's going to give us the strength to make it through whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. And that strength will look different given the circumstance. Whatever weakness you're feeling in that moment, there's strength that we can find. Maybe Christ will give us the ability to think right when things go wrong. Maybe he's going to give me hope and help me to see hope when all else looks hopeless. Maybe he's going to give me faithfulness when all else fails on us. And so he will give me the strength when I find myself in a place where I'm not getting what I signed up for. Jesus is enough for me because I can do all things through him who gives me strength even when I'm in that situation that I cannot bear. It's not hard for me to think of a time in my life where I found myself in a situation I couldn't bear. There's a time when literally I felt like I just couldn't bear it anymore. And at the same time, my wife felt like she couldn't bear it anymore either. And by the way, she knows I'm sharing this. We worked on this portion together. But there's a time when the pressures of ministry build. And as our church has been blessed and it's growing, things don't get calmer around here. So the pressures of ministry build. But now that we have a third child in our home, it's not getting any more calm at home either. And so here's these pressures building up, and there's this tension building up alongside of that, inside of us and between us. And the question has come up if whether I'm even fit to be a leader and a pastor of a church when I can't even be a leader and pastor at home of my own family. And it was so burdensome that I had to share with my accountability partners that I just wanted to walk away, and I was seriously contemplating just talking to Pastor Gary. I was at a point, I, I, can't, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm thinking about talking to Pastor Gary and just giving him to the end of this year, and I'm just going to walk away. And it's in those moments that all these statistics of pastors dropping out of ministry and failing in their marriages that I've always heard about became so real to me. As I felt like I was about to become the statistic. Because I felt, I, I can't bear this. I wanted to walk away from marriage, and I wanted to walk away from ministry. And I admit, it was coming from this place of just raw emotion. It, it's, it's in those moments where I had to cry out and say, God, help me navigate this, navigate through this. Give me the strength to figure this out. Am I being legitimate, or am I being irrational? And it was in those moments where having people around me instead of walking away from ministry and my marriage, that these people helped me to do one thing in particular, to look to Jesus. Like seriously, look to Jesus. And that's not just a cliche, hold on to Jesus. 
look to him, draw on his strength to hold on and press through. And they practically did things to help me look to Jesus. And for both of us, we started going to counseling together and we've been learning together as we journey together, both Monica and I, to, to rely on the strength that we can find in Christ rather than just walk away. I love the example that I see in brothers and sisters who have gone before me who see that Christ's strength is strong enough. Christ's strength is strong enough for Tim, Oyang of Tim Be Told, who has performed on this stage as he has recently come out with his struggles of homosexuality and he still sings for Jesus. Christ's strength is strong enough for Tim to keep singing for Jesus as he's been honest about his homosexuality. Christ's strength is strong enough to help my friend who was once an alcoholic stay sober even in the midst of his mom passing away. Christ's strength is strong enough for my friend Pastor Aaron to keep on preaching even after his three-year-old daughter passed away from neuroblastoma. Christ's strength is strong enough for that sister who is in our Tuesday night prayer meeting who expressed that she still has joy in the Lord even though she's had two miscarriages. Christ's strength is strong enough. And just because Paul was a Christian, oh, he was a Christian, doesn't mean he naturally felt like Jesus was enough and he was always content in Christ alone at all times. No, but he says, look, this is something I learned. It wasn't natural, but I learned. I learned to trust. I learned to grow in my belief that he is. So yeah, you're going to feel the pain of lacking. You're going to feel these yearnings and cravings. You're going to feel disappointment at life. But we learn to be content when we grow in trusting that Jesus' strength is strong enough to carry us through. That I can actually stay calm and carry on through the strength that Christ provides. So that, that's the first way we can experience the contentment of Christ. Trusting that his strength is strong enough. Here's the second thing. Will you guys write this down? By trusting that his name is worthy enough. Trusting that his name is worthy enough. How else do we experience contentment in the fact that Jesus is enough for me? And I think it's by trusting that his name will be exalted and glorified through my life. I was uh, revisiting Psalm 23 as I was uh, preparing to do a funeral yesterday. And Psalm 23 has always been known to be one of the most comforting passages in Scripture. So I was reading through Psalm 23. And as I was reading it, I, I was reminded of what I believe is one of the most comforting verses in the most comforting chapter in all of Scripture. And I want to show it to you. This is the verse I'm talking about. Psalm 23, verse 3 says this. It says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Oh, man, isn't that good? Why is that good? How is that comforting? Because he leads me in paths of righteousness, underline this, for his name's sake. That tells me that this is more about his glory than it is about my story. How do I know? How can I be content that whether God allows me to live a life of plenty or to live a life with little, to, to be famous or to be anonymous, whether he gives me a life where I'm single or he gives me a life with a growing family that, that Christ is enough, how do I know? Because this is for his name's sake. And what King David is saying, he says, I know that as long as I'm following the good shepherd, I'm following him, it doesn't matter if he leads me to 
lie down in green pastures or he leads me to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Meaning his name hangs in the balance. His reputation is on the line. So that tells me he is not going to fail me because he is not going to fail his own name. He is not going to let his glory be suppressed. So that means I know as long as I follow him, it's going to be good. His name will be exalted. I love that these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know those guys? Daniel chapter 3, I love that when they were told that they have to bow down to this golden image King Nebuchadnezzar set up of himself, that they have to bow down, they said, no, your name is not worthy enough. And the reward for not bowing down to the golden image was a one-way ticket into the fiery furnace. And so they said, no, we're, we're not going to bow down. And King Nebuchadnezzar, he's like that's, like, that's terrible. Like, he's trying to be lenient, and so he gives them one more chance. Bow down to the golden image, or I have to throw you into the fiery furnace. And I love that in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But check this out. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I love that. God is able to deliver us. He will deliver us. But even if he does not, his name is worthy to be exalted over your name, over our name. And so he's going to lead us. He's going to lead us in this. We know it. And sure enough, what does God do? Yeah, he leads them into the furnace. He leads them onto the path into the fire. Why? For his name's sake. Right? Because even though he leads them to the furnace, of the fire of death, the Lord is with them. Even though they walk through the fire, he is there. And that's not just something that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed to see. That's something for everybody around them to see, right? Because as they're in that fiery furnace, everybody's looking in to see what happens to them, and they're amazed. King Nebuchadnezzar is amazed. Why? Because he doesn't see three people in there anymore. How many does he see? He sees four people. He sees the presence of God in them, in the fire with them. And he says, come out, guys, come out. Get, out. get out of there, come out. And they come out unburnt. And what was the result? Daniel chapter 3, verse 28, hands lifted high. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants they trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God, i.e. me, except their God. He's able to save us from the flame and exalt his name. He will save us from the flame and exalt his name. But even if he leads us to the flames, his name will be praised. And that's exactly how it went down. Do you trust that? And the flip side is true as well. Sometimes he will keep you from certain paths. 
for his name's sake. When we were in college at UC Irvine, I know some of my UC Irvine friends are here with me, but one of our friends, and you guys will know who I'm talking about, one of our friends was known to be an amazing bass guitarist. And he was part of uh, one of the Christian fellowships on campus. And he was just, I mean, he had a reputation for having amazing musical ability. And he was part of a band. Uh, he had a, a Christian band. And they would, I remember, perform at different venues throughout college, at praise nights, at fellowship events. And, and they would perform. And one time he was performing, and apparently somebody in the crowd was really impressed. Because after that, that event, that person in the crowd goes up to him and he says, man, will you come and, and play in our band? And he, he declined. He said, no, I'm not going to play in your band. I got my own band. Why would I join your band? I mean, this is the year 2000. After all, who had ever heard of Linkin Park, right? <laughs> so he says, no, I'm going to stay in my band. By the way, we'll call his name Bear. If you know who I'm talking about, you know why I'm calling him Bear. That's not his real name. But Bear goes, no, I'm going to stick, stick with my band. Because no one had heard of Linkin Park until soon after that. When Linkin Park blew up internationally and became a multi-platinum band, topped the Billboard charts by 2003. And Linkin Park, if you, if you look it up, they are the best-selling band of the 21st century. Right behind the Beatles, they are one of the world's best-selling groups overall. Now, this guy, Bear, understandably went into a time of depression, right? When he found out about it, he went into this dark place in his life, this time of depression. And I, I, can't, I can't even imagine what it was like for him. I can't imagine. He is probably asking questions like, God, why? Like, why didn't you tell me that this is what I could have been? Why didn't you show me what that road would have looked like? Why didn't you just make me say yes when I said no? God, why? And all these questions of why, why, why. And so it was a dark time. But praise God, because I, I believe that Bear came out of that time. And I'd like to believe that he was able to find contentment on the path that, that God led him on. It is said that later he actually ran into that Linkin Park member again who ended up sharing with him, telling him, you know, it's, it's really not all that it's made out to be. Um, yeah, there's, there's great things about it, but it's not all that it's made out to be. He, he shared about how he sees in the industry people cheating on their wives all the time. He sees people succumbing to the pressures all the time. He sees people addicted to alcohol and drugs all the time. He sees band members who loathe the fact that they can't be at home with their wives and family as often as they'd like. It's not all that it's cut out to be. Sadly, we heard this past year that the lead singer of Linkin Park took his own life because sometimes it's not all that it's cut out to be. And I'm not saying that this is what Bear would have ran into and this is what he would have experienced we don't know, but perhaps God led him in a different way because God saw what Bear could not see. Perhaps he's God. We know what God did see. We know that God did see that his own name would be most exalted in Bear's life in the path that he led him on. And it allowed him to continue on in his Christian band that sang for Jesus and allowed him to worship and serve on his church's worship team in the name of Jesus. Not as flashy, not as much money, 
but one of fame. Fame for the name of Jesus. And that will always be the better path. As long as we follow the lead, do you trust that he leads us in every path for his name's sake? And that will always be the best path. That assures me that as long as I'm following my shepherd, that there's no path or circumstance that he will lead me into that's going to be a failure. That, that leads me to believe that he doesn't lead us into mistakes. His name is in the balance and it's not just to uphold his name and his reputation, but it's to exalt his name and to bring glory to himself. That will always be the best path. And so I will be content with whatever he brings me to because his name is worthy enough. Jesus is enough for me because his name is worthy enough. Amen? Amen. Amen. Third thing, here's the last thing I want to share with you guys. How else can I live content and satisfied with Jesus? He is enough how? By trusting that his arms are wide enough. Would you guys write that in? By trusting that his arms are wide enough. I want to ask you guys, as you think about your own life, what, what need do you find yourself struggling with the most? Like, what do you find yourself yearning for the most in this world? And, and I'd like to argue that the things that we yearn for in this, in this world probably have to do with the feeling of being loved and accepted, right? I mean, not everything, not everything, but a lot of the things that we yearn for, it's because it's tied to feeling loved and accepted by the world, right? I, I want to have a sense of humor. I want to have distinct skills. I want to have a shiny personality. Why? So that people will like and follow me. In other words, love and accept me. I want to have a nice home. I want to have the newest iPhone. I want to have the freshest kicks. Why? So that people will see me and like me, that they would love me and accept me. I want to have a good degree. I want to have a distinct career. I want to have success. Why? So that people will see and love me and accept me. I want to be married. I want to have kids. Why? So that other people who are married with kids would accept me. And so there's a lot of things that we yearn for that's ultimately rooted in this desire for love and acceptance. Take away, take away people as a factor, and a lot of these things wouldn't even matter to us. Yet, because we yearn for these things, you yearn for this love and acceptance, the implication is that the love that this world offers is unreliable. It's conditional. It's, it, it'll fall short. Why? Because if I don't have these things, then I will not feel loved and accepted. It will always leave us wanting more. Would you do me a favor? Turn with me to John chapter 4. I want to bring you to this familiar story. I know a lot of you guys know this story. I know, I've, I've taught this story here. But I want to bring you back because this past week as I was just reading it, I was, I'm, I was doing it with my accountability partner, and we came across John chapter 4, and there's this thing that, that I've always read time and time and time again, but I never stopped to, to take the profound insight that I believe it offers. And so I want to show it to you today. Just to give you some background. So John chapter 4, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he comes to this well. He comes to this well, and he sees this Samaritan woman. He's Jewish, she's Samaritan, and she's drawing out water. And they get into this conversation, and Jesus basically reveals this truth that she'll draw water from this well today, but she's going to be back tomorrow. Why? Because this well, this water will always 
run out. It'll always leave her thirsty again. It'll always leave her wanting more, and so she'll have to come back. And, and he says, but check this out, woman. I have something that will satisfy you for eternity. Like, I have something that can truly quench your thirst, and it will not leave you thirsting again. It's like, whoosh, got her. Because she's like, I want it. Give it to me. Where's this water? I'll sign up. Here, show it to me. I want this water. Look what it says, John 4, verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I want it. I want it. So Jesus got her, hooks her, draws her in. And what he was trying to do is expose how the things of this world, like the water from this well, are never enough. But then he goes deeper than this, right? Because he's going to go to further on show her just how deep her need runs. And it seems like he's about to abruptly change this conversation that was going really well up to this point. He changes the conversation, and look what he says in the next sentence, verse 16. Jesus said to her, good, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, ah, uh, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Look at verse 18. Would you guys underline that? For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. And then in the column, go ahead and write awkward. <laughs> like, that's weird. You're totally, calling, you're offering me this really good thing, and then you're calling me out and exposing my brokenness. Where's this conversation going? And what he was trying to show her that the things of this world will always leave us hanging. He's showing her that she's not only looking for water from the well, but she's looking for men in marriages. She tried to look for love and acceptance in marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage after marriage, after marriage only to be rejected. And now she's trying for a sixth time. Has anybody in here ever felt rejected? I'm convinced that this was too uncomfortable for her. How do I know? Because watch how she changes the topic. Watch how she changes the conversation. Verse 19, next verse. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Our Samaritan fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. You see how she changed the conversation quicker than Jesus did? Jesus changes it and says, you've had five husbands. You, you've, you've been rejected in marriage, 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 marriage. You've been left dry. You've been left hanging. And she goes, how does she respond? She goes, let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the cultural differences between Jews and Samaritans and how they worship. It's like, where's this conversation going? It's like all over the place. And I, and I think it's just too much for her. And yet Jesus draws it back. He says, hold on, come back. Here's where I'm going. And he goes on in this passage to expose to her who he is. He says, I'm the Messiah. I, I'm the Christ. I'm the one who has come to bring you to the Father. I've come to give you eternal satisfaction. I've, given, I've come to give you life. And as he reveals this story, he drops this gospel bomb on her. Look how she responds. Verse 28 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, now here's what I wanted to show you. Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Jesus just reveals that he's the Christ. He's the son of God who has come for her. She drops her water jar because all of a sudden that's not so important to me anymore. That's not my greatest need. She runs into town and just with this excitement, she can't contain herself. She says, come here, come meet this guy who just told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Christ? Now here's the insight that I've never seen before, but, but I believe God showed me this week. Why in the world is she excited about something she shouldn't be excited about. Essentially what she's saying is come see this man, meet this man who knows all of my ugliness and knows all my brokenness and knows all my failures and all my rejection. Come check him out, (laughs) right? It's like if one of you in here who's struggling with a dark issue in your life get excited, and you come to church, hey, South Bay, check out this guy. He knows that I have this major gambling problem, and I've almost tanked my marriage because of the tens of thousands of dollars I've lost. Come check him out. Come check out this guy who knows I've had sex outside of marriage, and and I've I've had two abortions. He knows that. Come check him out. Hey, guys, come check out this guy who knows that I struggle with porn, and he probably knows you do too. Check him out. It's amazing. And it's like, why, why would you be so excited about something you really shouldn't be excited about? He knows all of your ugliness, all your failures, all your past. I'll, I'll tell you why I think she's excited. Because I believe that, that for the first time in her life, there is a man who she has met who already knows her ugliness and pursues her still. Every other man learned of it after the fact, came to know who she really was, and said, I want nothing to do with you. I'm out. Jesus already knows it all, and he comes. He says, I'm in. And he comes, and he offers her eternity with him. And he comes and he loves her and accepts her just as she is. And she wanted, and he wanted to offer her eternity with him. How is Jesus enough for me? Because his arms are wide enough to embrace me just as I am. That there's nothing I've ever done that can make him love me less. There's nothing I could ever do to make him love me more just as I am, just as you are, baggage and all, addictions and all, failures and all, difficulties and all. Friends, he has seen it all. I don't care what you did a year ago. I don't care what you did 20 years ago. I don't care what you did 40 years ago. I don't care what you did 70 years ago. Why? Because Jesus saw it 2,000 years ago. He saw everything you would ever do before you ever did it, and that's why he stretched out his arms. His arms are wide enough to cover anything you've ever done, and he will accept you and love you just as you are. Trying to be filled with love and acceptance from this world is like trying to draw water from the well or trying to draw love from men in marriages. It will always leave you dry. It will always run out. 
It will always be unreliable. Yet Jesus' arms are wide enough. He will accept you and love you just as you are. And his love will not run out. Jesus is enough for me. Because I trust that he loves me just as I am. Period. This past Friday, I don't know if you got to catch it, but it was the, the, the internationally watched funeral of the Reverend Billy Graham. He passed away last week, 99 years old. I don't know if you guys know what he's done, but he has preached to more people and delivered the gospel to more people in person than anybody in human history. More than Paul, more than Jesus, Billy Graham was able to reach 2.2 billion people with the message of the gospel. They were sharing at his funeral. Pastor Gary had a chance to listen to it. I was actually just working on the message, but he said, you, you got to listen to what his daughter said. And so, so I, I went and I found the funeral online, and, and one of his daughters, all his children got to share, but one of his daughters, Ruth, uh, told her own Billy Graham story. Everybody was telling Billy Graham story. She says, I got a Billy Graham story for you. She said, I was in a marriage and I had a heartbreaking divorce after 21 years. 21 years. And we divorced. And she said it was so hard that she had to move to another town to just start afresh. Move in with her sister and start her life over. And she found a church in that town and she quickly met a man, a handsome man, that she fell in love with. And nobody in her family liked him. Her children didn't like him. And she said, it doesn't matter. This is my life. And they already made plans to get married. She, in her sharing, she said, we, we started dating fast and furiously. And all of a sudden, we're talking about marriage. And, and news got out. And she says, my mommy called me from Seattle. And my dad called me while he was in Japan. And they said, honey, slow down, slow down, hold on a little bit. Maybe we should take some time and get to know him a little bit more. And she said, I I'm thinking, what do you guys know? You don't know what it's like to be divorced. You don't know what it's like to be single. This is my life. And she says, she says, I was willful, I was stubborn, I was sinful. In other words, I, I was disobedient. She went ahead, they got married on, on New Year's Eve and she said, within 24 hours, I knew I had made a terrible mistake. She says, within five weeks, I fled that marriage in fear. And in hopelessness, I was alone again. And she said, I had nowhere to go. I had no one to turn to. And she says, I just got to go home. And so she, she, she says, I, I take this two-day drive to my parents' house in North Carolina. And I, I'm driving, and the whole two days I'm driving, all these thoughts are just swirling through my head. What did I just do? Where in the world am I going? And then she starts thinking, what are they gonna say to me? What's mom and dad gonna say to me? We told you so. Why do you keep doing this? Why won't you listen to us? You bring shame to our family. Do you know who your dad is? Your dad is Billy Graham. You can't embarrass Billy Graham. You bring shame to the family and to the ministry. And she's thinking of all this stuff. And she says after two days, she arrives at their home in North Carolina. She says, as I pull into the driveway, daddy's standing there. She says, as I get myself out of the car, 
Daddy just comes and he just wraps his arms around me. He says, welcome home. Welcome home. No blame, no shame, no condemnation. Just welcome home, honey. And she says, his, his daughter Ruth, she says, my dad is not God. He's not God. But he showed me what God looks like. That no matter the brokenness, no matter the shame, no matter the mistakes, the regrets, the sin, there's nothing but unconditional arms of love. His arms are wide enough. And he invites us to come just as we are. Just as we are. One of Billy Graham's favorite hymns of all times was the very hymn that he heard and responded to when he gave his life to Christ at a revival meeting. It's the song, Just As I Am. And it was the song that he requested to be played at all of his crusades, over 400 crusades. At the end, he would invite people with the invitation of Jesus to just come just as you are. And he had it played every time he presented the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is enough. He is enough for us because we are enough for him. There's nothing we can do to make him love us less. There's nothing we can do to make him love us more. His arms are wide enough to accept us and embrace us just as we are. Amen. Amen. Would you guys close your eyes and bow your heads with me? And I want to invite you just as Jesus invites you. You don't have to stand up or come forward. Because what's most important right now is that God sees your heart. And maybe this is the first time you've ever made a commitment. But the Bible says that, look, Jesus came to pursue you like he pursued the Samaritan woman. He came to give you life and to satisfy you for eternity. And that's why he died on the cross and shed his blood. That's why he rose from the grave to prove that he is life. The Bible says if you would just believe and accept by faith and embrace him by faith, then he has already embraced you to have a relationship with you to change your life and though he accepts accepts us just as we are he doesn't want us to stay just as we are he wants to change us so let him into your life and so I want to ask you maybe this is your first time or maybe this is the second time you want to recommit yourself maybe this is your 15th time or a 50th time but if you want to say God here I am just as I am come into my life then I want to ask where you are with your eyes closed would you just raise your hand so I could pray for you just where you are thank you amen amen God here I am just as I am amen good more hands than 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 we need to count because you know what God sees and I can't see everybody's hands but he sees your hands he sees your hearts and so you can put your hands down I'm just going to pray this and just you just pray this in your heart as if you're talking straight to God Pray something like this. God, thank you for loving me despite all the things you've seen that I've done and all the things you know that I will do. You love me and I thank you. Thank you for giving me Jesus who died on the cross so that I would be forgiven, who rose to life so that I would have life. So God, 
I embrace you. Thank you for embracing me. Come into my life and help me to now walk in paths of righteousness. Lead me and help me to follow you for your name's sake. God, thank you so much. We love you, praise you, and honor you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.